Well, again, we are so glad you're here. If you're watching online, thanks for joining us. If you're listening to the replay, thanks for doing that. If you're in the room, man, today has been just hearing what God's been doing has been really incredible. And so uh, if you're new around here, we're sort of in this after Easter kind of season where after Easter you try to answer the question, now what, how do I live this out, what does that look like? And so uh, if you're new around here, I want to make sure that you come back next Sunday. Our lead pastor, Pastor Chuck Allen, is going to be back and he's got an amazing word. If you've never heard him, never met him, man, this is going to be a real treat. If there's a Sunday to miss... Today was it. So you blew it. You blew it. So you got to be back next Sunday. No, all kidding aside, Pastor Chuck is amazing, amazing, amazing. And so he's got an incredible word. And then the following Sunday, I've got a message on how do you make a comeback. I don't know if any of you have ever blown it. I don't know if you've ever felt like, man, uh, I'm done. I've made too many mistakes. Can life actually be good again? And so if you fall anywhere in that emotional spectrum, man, I hope you'll join us on the 22nd as well. It's going to be great. We've got a great month coming up and a great summer. And so I won't get into all that today because today there's something really important I want us to talk about. Today's message is one that my prayer is that it not just changes somebody else that you know, but it would, God would do something inside of you, inside of me. Some of the messages that I think ring true for folks are ones that I feel like I'm preaching to myself, and that's what I'm doing as much as anything to anybody else today, is that this is a really important topic. This is a really important thing for us to get. We're calling it Love is the Killer App. Love is the killer app. And sort of what happened, what sort of brought me to today was a, a couple of different things. I, I can't tell you all the context, but I'll tell you a couple of them. One was earlier this week, uh, I had a meeting with some of our, I was in a meeting with several of our team members, and we're just asking the question, what do people in our community need? What, what are ways that we can serve them even better? What are things that aren't just internal, but we see on the outside of folks that people are dealing with? And over and over and over and over and over again, people kept talking about this fact that people feel lonely. They feel lonely. They feel isolated. They feel like they, that they're not really known. And so that conversation was happening. And then a few weeks ago in here, I preached from Romans chapter 8 and really talked about the difference between religion and relationship. And as I was studying for that message, God just got all over me on that section of Scripture. So I, uh, in my own daily sort of time of prayer and meditation. I've been walking through the book of Romans. And if you know anything about Romans, it was written by a guy named Paul, who was this religious leader before he met Christ, who was a Pharisee, where, where he was basically a tattletale on everybody that didn't do anything exactly right. See, the Pharisees, if you remember that message from a couple weeks ago, they went through the Old Testament and they found not just the Ten Commandments, but they found over 613 laws. And then they came sort of things that weren't laws, that were suggestions, and they came over 1,200 things that they looked at everybody was like, you got to get all this stuff. And so this was Paul's background. He was into the whole law thing. But then after Christ, everything changed. And so he was so impacted by the good news of Jesus that he writes this letter to all the churches in Rome. And he's very detailed. He's very technical. He's very heady. He's very theological because he wants to make sure they have this, this right foundation about the good news of Jesus. And then he gets to the end of this really technical letter. And in Romans chapter 13, let me just read you what it says. Uh, and this is what's going on in my heart. As I hear the story about all these people that are lonely, I'm reading through the book of Romans. And man, this smacked me between the eyes because in Romans 13, he says in verse 8, Oh, nothing. Uh, owe no one anything except to, here's the phrase, to love each other. 
Now, when you read Paul's letter to the Romans, it's not very, lo- it doesn't, it's more technical, it's more theological, it's more heady. But he says, here's the thing, love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, remember, this is a guy that had over 1,200 versions of the law, and yet he says, here's how you fulfill the law, when you love one another. And then he says in verse 9, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. So he starts quoting the Ten Commandments, which were a big deal to the Pharisees, uh, to any religious person, really. He said, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And then he pauses and says, and any other commandment. Again, commandments were a big deal for him. And instead of rattling them all off, it's like he trails off. It's like, yeah, 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 I know there's more, but let me tell you this one. And here's what he says. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. And here's the word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I can't tell you exactly why, but when I read that in Romans 13, it, it hit me in the gut. Because that phrase, love your neighbor as yourself, is one of the most quoted phrases in all the Bible. And honestly, whenever I hear that phrase, I think of Jesus. And just to be honest, I expect Jesus to say that. I expect that to be a Jesus quote. Of course, Jesus would say, love your neighbor as yourself. So when I read it in Romans 13, this is not where I expected to read it. Because when I read about Paul, he's a, 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 a scholar. He's an Old Testament scholar. He's got all of these laws, all, all of this stuff, all of these rules, this checklist, pastor, fell mentality. And here's a guy that has over 1,200 rules, codes, and things. And he says, yeah, all of that I'm going to put to the side and say, here's the most important one. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then I started putting all of this together. God started wrecking me to say, there's a, there's a problem when there's a phrase that's so familiar in the Bible, almost any of us could quote it, but yet we're in a world of lonely people. A couple years ago, I told you about my first trip to Kenya in East Africa. And when I went to Kenya for that very first time, I was in an area called the slums. If you don't know the slums, it's sort of outside the city. It's people trying to get closer to the city to find work. And typically it's just back to back to back to back to back to back to back, a lean-to kind of houses constructed out of sheet metal. And it's just rough. It's just really rough. A lot of times each of those individual units don't have power. They don't have running water. They have sort of a central bathroom kind of place. There's sewage running down the, the sidewalk. It's just awful. And when I first got over there, I was standing in the middle of the slums thinking, man, who could live this way? I mean, who, who, who could live this way? And then fast forward 10 days later when I'm leaving, I was like, man, I, I want to have something that they have. Because what I discovered is usually when we think about poverty, we think of one kind. We think about financial or material poverty. We think about it's when somebody doesn't have enough money, they don't have enough resources for their basic needs. And that's certainly a version of poverty, but there's two other kinds as well. There's spiritual poverty. Spiritual poverty is you could have arrived externally, you could have a great job, you could have a lot of money, but still be bankrupt internally. That's spiritual poverty. And then there's a third kind of poverty called relational poverty, where you don't have any, nobody really knows you. You don't have any real connection. You don't, you don't have anybody that you could lean on. And there's a lot of reasons why that happens today. One is the breakdown of families. Man, when a family breaks down, it's not just the husband and wife that experience this, but oftentimes when that happens, you lose friends in the process, sometimes you lose your church, sometimes you, right? So that's one reason that happens today. Another reason it happens today is people just move a lot more than they used to. 
used to be that you'd plant in a community. You'd stay there long term. You'd be in a neighborhood for a long, long, long time. But, and so now with people moving more often, it's harder to be known as well. A third reason why this happens for a lot of folks is they're just too busy. They're just too busy. We're just maxed out. When somebody asks you, hey, how are you doing? And the answer is, well, I'm just busy. Right? There's no margin. There's no, there's no, there's no white space in our calendar to get to know the people around us. And the last reason that I think leads to people feeling so isolated is honestly social media, which seems kind of crazy. It's what I call deferred loneliness, where you could have hundreds of people that you're connected to on social media, and yet you still feel alone, you still feel isolated. And, and sometimes you see this where, where somebody feels isolated, and so they're like, all right, I'm going to post a selfie, and then every 30 seconds they're refreshing the page to see, has anybody liked it yet? Has anybody commented on it yet? Did they notice my cute dimple? Did I put the right filter on it? Right? And, that's, that, and that just perpetuates the loneliness. And it's not just a certain demographic. Lonely people aren't people that are widows or older or move. Man, you could be any age or stage. You could be a successful business guy that's killing it at work and still feel alone. You could be a stay-at-home mom that's taking care of a bunch of little ones and still feel isolated. You could be a college student in a dorm full of hundreds or thousands of other students and still feel like yourself. You could be in a dysfunctional marriage and feel like you're all alone, right? Any single one of us can deal with this. And so what that tells me is we're not doing a great job of applying loving our neighbor as ourself because the thing that we need is not something else, but we need someone else, someone to show us what love looks like. Now, I'm a sucker for apps. An app is just a little program you put on your phone, on your device. And I, I'm a nerd, right? I, 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 I see all these headlines when an app goes on sale for free. I'm like, it's free. I better download it. I better download it. So I grab all of these apps. And one time somebody asked me, how many apps do you have? So I pulled out my phone. I went to the little settings deal. And I had over 500 apps. I have an app addiction. Hi, my name is Bobby. I'm addicted to apps. Can we stop and pray? I don't know. I feel like I'm in therapy now. So I went through not long ago, and I tried to get rid of apps I don't use, and I got it all the way down to 236. Isn't that better? But there's apps for tracking your runs, apps for tracking your foods, apps for tracking your sleep, apps for tracking your posture. There's apps for everything but we don't need an app we need this verse to take root in our lives where we love other people the way that we want to be loved and so if you don't mind let me pause and pray for this moment and then what I want to do is I don't want to be heady I don't want to be technical I want to be super practical of how we can take this one concept and we can apply it today, we can live it out this week, and we can begin to put this in action. So let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder of recalibrating our hearts to love others the way that we would want to be loved. Give us this kind of posture this week. Give us this kind of awareness. Help us to live this out. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. If you've never heard me teach, I'm sort of a point guy. I, I, uh, I think sort of uh, structurally. And so I want to show you, I want to give you three practical ways to apply this truth. And so if you're a note taker, I invite you to write these down on your handout. If you've got our app, you can look at this uh, through the resource section of the church app. But the first way that we can begin to live this out is number one, by extending unconditional love. Extending unconditional love. Isn't that something we all want? I mean, don't, don't we all want to be accepted without any strings attached? Don't we want for somebody to know us and to love us and there's not hoops to jump through, there's not checklists, right? We, we all want that and yet somehow we forget that everybody else wants that as well. And so there's a lot of places we could look at this, but let me show you as we walk through this application, different places in the life of Jesus, we see these things. So number one, extend unconditional love. And let me, let me read you one place that this happens. Matthew chapter eight and verse two. Jesus has been traveling from place to place to place. He's performed miracles, miracles, miracles. And in this passage, this outcast person shows up. Look what it says, Matthew chapter eight, verse two. A man with leprosy came and he knelt before Jesus and he said to Jesus, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, I, I don't know what you know about leprosy. I don't know if you recognize the stigma that leprosy had in their day. It's the skin disease that often started internally first. So you didn't really know that you had it just yet, but it would lead to constant fatigue. It'd lead to pain in your joints. And then over time, man, it would just take over. I mean, people's faces would go from looking normal to looking all, all uh, hardened and wrinkled. I don't know if you've seen the face of a lion, but sort of that kind of look of what they would look like. And they'd get these big um, uh, pus-filled lumps in their skin. And over time, what would happen is that would grow and grow and grow, and it's infected, infected, infected. And over time, they'd lose feeling and, uh, feelings in their joints. And over time, they'd lose fingers, they'd lose toes. And man, they were just, it was just nasty. And it does still exist in parts of the world where people still deal with this. But in Jesus' day, there wasn't medicine for this. In Jesus' day, there, there wasn't a lot of understanding about this. And so if you were a leper, you were an outcast. You had to live with other lepers in a colony outside of the city because they, nobody wanted to catch it from you. And even the priest of the day thought leprosy was a sign of sin. So if you've got leprosy, then obviously you've ticked God off. And so whenever a leper would show up into the city, they had to announce it. The leper would have to walk through the streets and say, unclean, 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 and shout that out so that everybody within a 150 foot radius would know and they could get out of the way. They could make sure they didn't catch this. So imagine the shock when this leper shows up to this Jesus. And notice what the leper asks him. The leper does not ask him, can you do this? It doesn't say, Jesus, are you able to do this? It doesn't say, Jesus, uh, uh, do you have the power to do this? No, he says, Lord, if you are what? If you are willing, if you're willing, not can you, but are you willing to? Because he, he felt rejection. He felt like he was too far gone. 
He felt like there's no way this Jesus would ever want to be. And so he asked the question, are you willing? And here's what Jesus says, verse 3. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man and said, I am willing. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Do you see this? I mean, nobody's off limits. This person that nobody else wanted to be around, this person that nobody else wanted to be breathe the same air, Jesus doesn't just say, I'm willing, he actually touches him. Why did he do that? He didn't have to do that. There's plenty of examples in the rest of Matthew where Jesus healed people without even touching them. Why did, maybe the reason why Jesus touched this leper is because the leper didn't just need healing from the disease, he needed love for his rejection. This is Jesus saying, I see you. This is Jesus saying, I love you. This is Jesus saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to extend my hand to you. That loving touch changed everything. If we think about this idea, how do we love others the way that we want to be loved? This is one of those ways that we would show unconditional love, that we would say, I'm going to reach out to the people around me. I'm going to show them love even when they don't deserve it, even when they've been, I'm going to love them. And one of the reasons why I love this church is because we've got so many people around us that live this out. And one of the people that lives this out is Miss Betty Holbrook. Sorry for putting you on the spot, Miss Betty. But Miss Betty is an amazing lady. Am I allowed to say that you turned 90 this last year? Is that all right? Am I going to get in trouble? I, don't, I want to stay on your good side. Here's what I love about Miss Betty is on any given Sunday, you're going to see her in the hallway with her arm around somebody praying for them. I love that. I mean, uh, wh what I'm aware of, there's some people that are here on Sundays that they don't have any interaction with anybody else throughout the week. And here's Miss Betty just loving on people unconditionally. Can I pray for you? Can I lift you up? I'm so grateful for that. I didn't tell her I was going to say that this morning. And sure enough, this morning she got to church. I got a big old hug out in the lobby. And then my wife, Laura, was out there. And she, she was in here for the first service. She leaned over. Miss Betty hugged me today. And that's just what she does. Un this is so practical. Again, my goal isn't to be heady. My goal isn't to be technical. How do we live this out? Number one unconditional love. Number two, if you're taking notes, if you want a second way that we can show this kind of love is not only extending unconditional love where sometimes we just need to hug somebody, we need to shake their hand, they just need to be known. Number two, we need to listen more than we speak. We need to listen more than we speak. You realize that most people don't listen with the intent of understanding, don't you? Thanks, Rick. Huh? Some of you were told as a kid by your teacher, you've got two ears, but only one mouth for a reason. Is that true for any of y'all? The talkers in the crowd, right? Oftentimes, people are just waiting for us to stop talking so that they can jump back in. Have, haven't you been in a conversation where somebody asks you a question and you try to answer them and you can tell their lips are sort of quivering, like they're just ready to jump back in. They're just ready, 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 ready. This happened not long ago for me. I was, at a, I was having a meal with a, a group of people and somebody at the end of the table looked at me in the eye and they asked me a very specific question that was meant for me to answer and somebody else at the table just jumped in and went on and on and on and on and finally I was like man I don't think I ever had a chance to engage in that but we don't intentionally do that we're like man that's a great talk and the other person was like um conversation's supposed to be two ways right it's supposed to be two ways and so 
man, one of the things that I think we can do to be a better neighbor, to love our neighbors and ourselves, is to stop and to actually listen. There's a lot of examples of this in Scripture, but one of them is Luke chapter 24. This is after the resurrection. Jesus finds two guys that are walking on the road to Emmaus. And they were believers. They had put their faith in Jesus. But honestly, they were confused by the crucifixion. They were confused by the trial. They were confused by all the drama of the day. And so as they're walking to Emmaus, they're having this conversation. conversation. They're downcast. They're depressed. They're lonely. They're isolated. And Jesus shows up. And yet God doesn't reveal to them who he is yet. And so they just think he's just another guy at this moment. And so Jesus walks up as they're walking. And listen to what happens in verse 17. Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still. Look at this phrase. Their faces were downcast. Verse 18. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? They're like, are you kidding me? You're asking, what are we talking about? Hello, this monumental event happened. This, this innocent guy was crucified on the cross, and when he breathed his last breath, the world went dark. Man, everything changed, don't you know? And then in verse 19, look what Jesus does. He asks one question. He says, what things? I, th I think that's interesting. It would have been easy for Jesus to say, hey guys, I'm the guy. It would have been easy for him to say, ta-da, I'm the one you're talking about. But instead, Jesus engages them with questions. And I think that's powerful. I think our generation in some ways has lost the art of asking questions. We would rather rush to judgments. We would rather uh, fill in the gaps ourselves. We'd rather assume, but here's the problem with that. Whenever you Whenever you judge something, whenever you think you know the whole story, the moment you judge, you remove all other possibilities. So oftentimes we look at somebody's life and we assume we know what got them to where they are. We assume we know the problems that happen. We assume when sometimes all they need is somebody to be open and honest and just say, tell me more. Tell me about that. Why do you sense that? And just ask the questions. This is one of those lessons that every married guy has to learn at some point. Most guys are wired as fixers. Hey, tell me your problem. Tell me whatever you're struggling with. We're going to fix it, right? And me being a preacher, I've, got, I've always got three points to how to fix it. And if I had enough prep time, I've got the same letter for all three. Well, here's what you need to do, Laura. Step number one, and then, you know. And I learned that certainly there are times that being practical and helpful, that's the case. But there's a lot of times where she doesn't need me to fix something. She just needs to be heard. Where I have to consciously pause instead of trying to jump in and try to answer, just say, tell me more. Tell me more. Is there anything I can do to help? And just ask questions. Isn't that what we want people to do in our own lives? That when we're facing a struggle, that when we're facing something, that instead of more people preaching at us, more people giving us more data, that we, they would just be present 
Because what I've seen in my years of ministry is I've rarely seen anybody converted because of information. Information is typically not the problem. They don't need more information. They need more relationship, somebody to walk with them through it. So as we, again, this is meant to be applied. This is meant for us to live out, number one, that we'd extend unconditional love. That number two, we'd listen more than we speak. And then here's the last one, number three, that we would be fully present. That we'd be fully present. So often, we're just on the go. So often, we're on the rush. So often, we're just going from thing to thing to thing. If anybody deserved to be busy, I think it's Jesus. He only had three and a half years of ministry. He had a lot to accomplish. There's a lot going on. Jesus went from town to town, from city to city, from place to place. And yet, out of all of the places you see Jesus go, he never seems rushed. He never seems out of breath. He never seems to show. He's not like, oh my gosh, I can't believe, how am I going to do all of this? No, he's fully present with people. In fact, if you want to write these down, let me just give you a couple of scriptures that you can look up just to see what I'm talking about. In Luke chapter 5, he's speaking to the crowd, and yet in the middle of the crowd, in the middle of all those needs, he's fully there. He's fully present. What about when he's asleep in the boat and his disciples wig out because of the storm in Luke chapter 8? He's fully present with them. He doesn't beat them up. He doesn't, doesn't chastise them. What about Luke chapter 8 when he's on his way to perform a miracle and he gets, he's always fully present. The last one, when he's praying in Mark chapter 1, he's fully present. See, one of the gifts that we can give to our neighbors is the gift that all of us want is the presence of somebody in our life. Not that we would be seen as an interruption, but we'd be seen as a person. And so often we don't have any blank space on our calendar. So often we just pull out of our house at the last minute. We have no time to talk to people around us. We come to church, we rush in, and we forget that there are people all around us that just need us to be present. Again, there's a lot of examples of this in our church, but one example that just was top of mind all week long was Albert and Vicki Young. If you don't know them, there's a picture of them. They're going to kill me after the service. We're putting them on the screen. So, Miss Betty, if you'll pray for them right after the service, that would be amazing. That would be cool. But I remember, uh, so Albert's on camera today. He didn't know I was doing this, so he may do something funny to the camera. Might add 50 pounds or something, I'm not sure. Uh, Miss Vicki uh, is one of these folks that also hugs everybody that she sees. She's got an amazing memory for dates and birthdays and all this stuff. But I remember uh, several years ago when Laura and I bought our first house, I was overwhelmed. I, di I, I didn't move a lot growing up. So when it comes to moving, I have no idea where to start. I look at all the stuff. I look at the empty box. And I, I get paralyzed. I don't know what to do. And so luckily, Laura's family moved around when she was growing up, so she knew what to do. And so my job was just to move the boxes once she packed them. But then we got to the new house, and we got all these boxes. I don't even know where to start. So Albert and Vicki Young knew this was something that we were doing. And so they came over, and they literally unpacked every single box in our kitchen. They put it all away. They organized it all. And then after they were done with all that, we got all these boxes. And I have no idea what to do with all this stuff. And so Albert's out there breaking down the boxes putting them out for me, right, because they were just fully present. There was a real tangible need. It wasn't super spiritual. It wasn't super flashy. But they're a great example of what it looks like to be fully present. See, I think sometimes we get overwhelmed. There's so many people that are in need. We're like, I can't meet everybody's need. 
Right? There's so many people that have all these needs. I, I can't meet everybody's needs. So if we're not careful, we allow that to be a loophole to say, I'm not going to meet anybody's needs. But one of the principles we've learned around here is that whoever God puts in front of you is God's assignment for you. Sure, I, I can't meet everybody's needs. I can't be everywhere, all, right? I, I can't, but I can do something. I can't do everything, but I can do something. I, I can't be around everyone, but I can be with someone, whoever God puts in your path, whoever God puts in, in your life, whoever you bump up against and God places them on your heart, that is somebody. In fact, when Jesus taught this principle about loving your neighbor as yourself, one of the religious people raised his hand and said, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And he was thinking geographically. I don't know if he was thinking uh, the person next to me. I don't know if he's thinking the street they live on. But he was basically asking, all right, tell me, who is that person? Who's that one person? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus basically flips it on its head. He tells a story. And at the end of the story, basically Jesus says, the neighbor is not who necessarily who you live next door. The question is not who is your neighbor. The question is who can you be a neighbor to? In other words, it's not limited to just the people that live next to you, though it does include them. It is for every single person that has a need that you can step into and you can show love without any limits. You can listen more than you speak and you can be fully present. To say as best as I can, I'm going to be in this moment with you. Can you imagine what would happen to the relational poverty in our church, in our community, in our county, if a thousand plus people today said, we're gonna live this out. How do you do that? Man, if you're in a small group and there's somebody that's been missing, would you reach out to them this week? If you're not in a small group, but you sit in the same section week after week, don't we all do that? We have sort of our spot Right, you sit in the same section week after week after week, and you see somebody that's not that hasn't been around. Would you reach out to them? You're like, well, I don't know them. Well, right after the service, get to know the people around you. Say, how are you? Hey, let's go grab some food. Let's hang out. Right? Uh, it, it, maybe it's somebody in your neighborhood that you know that man. That God just placed them on your heart. You don't know exactly what they're going through, but man, they just keep coming to mind. Would you reach? Can you imagine what would happen if we took this seriously? We didn't just know the phrase, but we lived it out. Can I pray for us this morning? If you don't mind, would you bow your heads for a moment and close your eyes? I'd love to be able to pray for us this morning. If you're a believer, this is something that is a no-brainer. If, if you're a believer, if you know Christ personally, this isn't even something you have to pray about. Some people are like, let me pray about it. And I'm like, you don't even have to pray about this. Jesus told us crystal clear. No prayer required, just do it. So if we're a believer, my prayer is that we, me included, would embody this and live this out. Maybe you would pray and say, God, would you put somebody in front of me? God, would you help me to see the folks that I bump into as opportunities to show the love of Jesus? But what if you're the people in the room or watching and you're like, but I feel alone. I feel alone. I just want to remind you, you're not here by accident. You're not. There's a God that unconditionally loves you, 
there's a God that cares about what's going on in your life and he's fully present. And this church loves you. We care about you. And so my prayer is that if that's you, if you fall in that category, that today you would sense the nearness of God, but then also that you wouldn't allow that feeling to define you, but you would take the promises of God and say, as best as I can, I'm gonna do the things that I wish somebody would do in my life. Because sometimes when we feel isolated and we feel lonely, it becomes this downward spiral, but there's something powerful when we give away what we wish we were receiving and we see God bring it in our life. So what I wanna do is I wanna pray for us. Then after I finish praying, I'm gonna ask Zach and the team to lead us again and this reminder of the promises that before we leave out of here, before we get done, that we had allowed the truths that God's placed in front of us today to drop out of our heads and into our hearts. Maybe God's already put somebody on your heart. Maybe God's put somebody in your small group. Maybe God's put somebody in your section. Maybe God's put somebody in your neighborhood. Maybe it's somebody at work. Would you pray for them by name today? Father, thank you for this morning and just for the practical example that your life gives us. That we don't have to wonder what you would do. We actually get to see what you did. That you give away unconditional love, that you give away your listening ear, you care what's on people's hearts, that you're fully present. And God, I pray for every person that feels lonely today, every person that feels isolated, that they would feel in a very real way your nearness. And God, for all of us, myself included, that we would live this out that we love you with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, and that we love others as we would like to be loved. In Jesus' name I pray.